You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. We're so glad you're here today. And today we are absolutely going beyond the ordinary. We are here with my good friend, Derek Laliberti. And we are going to be talking about the new face of marketing and what that means. Things have changed. The world is different. And you're going to hear an incredible perspective from Derek. He runs a company called Disruptor, and it is different than any other marketing agency you've probably heard of or related with. You're going to hear about that today. So we're going to talk about the new face of marketing. We're also going to talk about living life in a way that demands an explanation because that is ultimately what Derek desires and aspires to accomplish. And as a friend, I get to see that day in and day out. So you're going to hear some of his story that's not all roses. You're going to hear the parts of the story also that some of you will identify with and say, man, I needed to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. And then we're also going to talk about the future of business and what that looks like. So really thankful you're here today. You're going to love this time with Derek. Derek, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pumped. I'm a fan. I've listened to a couple episodes. So thanks a lot. Well, thank you. and. Derek, before we jump into all that good stuff, our listeners love to hear people's stories. Tell us where you grew up. And certainly you didn't start out in school thinking you were going to become this online marketing guru. So how did you get from whatever you thought you were going to do to here? Well, it's an interesting question. My whole life really has been like this facilitation of my own self-discovery. I grew up in Minnesota. Yeah, I moved to to Northern Indiana in 2000. So I went to a small liberal arts, Christian, technically a Lutheran college in Minnesota for two years, really because I had terrible grades out of high school. Apparently, you can just graduate high school. All you really have to do is show up. I I think many people don't realize that. And that's basically what I did. Not that I didn't apply myself. I just was more interested in, you know, girls and sports. But I went to a small school because I wanted to play soccer competitively. And I didn't want to sit the bench for two years before I went to a four-year program. So I went to this small school, ended up being probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. You know, to this day, I have my best friends that I met there. And my sophomore year had a phenomenal season and we had a game in Detroit. A couple coaches from Fort Wayne showed up, knocked on the bus and said, Hey, we want to talk to Derek. I had no idea where Fort Wayne was. And Ended up moving here to, to go to school to play soccer. And that didn't exactly pan out the way I wanted to. It actually plays a lot into some of my personal struggles. But I did have a pretty solid soccer career here in uh, technically Fort Wayne. And met my wife. We've been married for 16 years. We have a 12-year-old son named Chase, a 14-year-old daughter named Avery. And now my life is centered around driving them to practice. <laughs> So that's sort of some of the personal stuff from a 10,000 foot view, but there is a five foot view that's very personal, very vulnerable. And that's really where the facilitation of self-discovery sort of comes into play. Well, Derek, I appreciate you sharing that. And prior to soccer, correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there a hockey phase in there somewhere along the way? Right. I think that just sort of comes with the fact that I'm from Minnesota. So it's just an assumed thing. Yeah. Yeah. So up until I was probably 12 years old, my dream for my life was to play for the Minnesota North Stars, who were a phenomenal team, who were owned by somebody that I would describe it with an expletive, who moved the team to Dallas. And at that point in time, I wasn't probably the only one whose dreams were completely crushed. But I did play hockey through, through high school. I quit in high school. You know, with the North Stars not being around, the dream sort of fizzled out. And you kind of got to follow. You don't have to follow. But I was very good at soccer. So it just was something I had to I had to transition to. But my daughter plays hockey. She's sort of following my footsteps. She's on the only girls hockey team in Fort Wayne. Literally the only girls team. So that's exciting for me as a dad. But yeah. It's always fun to see your kids falling in your footsteps. And actually, hockey was one of the things that kind of 
brought us together. Not that I'm man enough to even watch hockey, Derek, but I distinctly remember we were at an event and we're talking about something and you started to share this YouTube clip that really changed my life. I mean, this is like one of those, you know, top 10 social media life changing moments. And it was a YouTube about hockey hair. And uh, listeners, if you do not know about this, I'm going to give Derek a moment to tell you about it because it really did change my life for the better. And I would like to, you know, do the same for you. You're right. In my opinion, I I think it's probably my favorite, was my favorite YouTube video. Now he has multiple years of doing this. So the Minnesota State Hockey Tournament is a big deal. It is broadcast on local television, on a major network, every single game. And this guy, you know, because Minnesota is, you know, I don't know, maybe they're the the self-proclaimed inventor of the mullet. Right. And a lot of different sort of hockey styles. But these kids get an opportunity to be introduced, you know, on live television. So they skate to the blue line from the goal and they sort of fling their hair up or, you know, they try to look at the camera and look cool. Well, this guy had this idea that he would create an all hockey hair team from participants in the state tournament. And the video went viral. And since then, he's done it every year. And I will say, it's interesting you bring that up. The state tournament is going on right now in Minnesota. So I follow it. A team really close to my hometown with some old high school friends have kids playing in the state tournament right now. I have seen photos because these kids go all out, Tom, all out to try and make this team. I think they want to make the state tournament just to be on the all hockey here team more than they actually want to win the state tournament. So I saw a picture today where this guy has a, he shaved his head all the way to the back. So he's bald in front and he's got hair just all the way down his back. And he, I bet he's been growing it out knowing that his team has a chance to make the state check. Phenomenal, phenomenal video. So if they go to YouTube and type in Minnesota all hockey hair team, that's going to get them there. That's all they got to do. All right. All they got to do. There is probably 10 years of footage. And he has celebrities that are on these, you know, introducing people. It's just, and his commentary is just great. Just really great. He doesn't even live in Minnesota anymore. He like moved to New York, which is funny. So. Well, you heard it here, listeners. That's going to be life changing for you. So get out there and do it. And, you know, Derek, moving on to some more important things, you know, a lot of our listeners are founders or they're investors in founders. And you've spent time with lots of different companies doing, whether it's sales or marketing or digital marketing, you know, you've been all over the landscape there, but you have spent time with some startups and now you own your own company. So I think let's bridge into what got you into this digital marketing landscape? That's a big question. Uh, So I spent the majority of my career in sales because of When you don't know what you're going to do out of college, you go into sales and really a lot of good habits, some bad habits, but learned a lot from some really great people about sales, spent a lot of time studying a few different methodologies. And then around 2011, I took a job with a custom software firm and I worked there for the better part of 10 years. In the middle of working for this custom software firm, I took a small ownership stake in a sales training methodology company, and we had to figure out marketing. And I didn't really know much about marketing other than, you know, what I did socially. But this is really where this facilitation of self-discovery began for me. It was, I want to write a sales blog. And I don't exactly know what I'm going to talk about, but I'm going to talk about the lessons that we teach in our class and through our training. And I'm writing these articles. And for a real short period of time, they did pretty well. This is back in 2014, 15. And I'm having some minor success writing these articles. But then it sort of dips, like engagement dips. People don't want to read about them anymore. And I'm really flirting with doing some different things. And, you know, it's sort of at this moment in my life where I'm going through a personal transition of struggles and recovery. And I start to incorporate part of my own story into these sales lessons I'm talking about. And I see a spike. People are paying more attention and I'm being a little bit more vulnerable. And I think that sort of collides with the age of the customer, age of the salesperson. There's a lot of different things here. But one day I said, you know what? 
I'm going to write a blog or an article all about a lesson I've learned in life, a very personal story. It didn't have to be over the top vulnerable, but a little bit more vulnerable. I would establish a little bit more trust. And then I'd put just one small sales nugget in at the end to tie it all together. There's a a term I've just learned called synchricity. So I'm, I'm probably saying that wrong, which is perfect for me because disruptor spelt wrong. And that's just what you're going to get from me. But, you know, it's basically two different stories that are unrelated that somehow relate to each other. And I did this and I wrote this article based off this book that I read by Andy Stanley called I Choose to Cheat. And I wrote this article about how you basically I'm, I'm going to cheat on work. So I'm not cheating on my family anymore. It blew up. I mean, I, I think for me at the time, it was probably around 25,000, 30,000 views. Compared to, you know, I'd be happy with 500 views. So it sort of opened my eyes to, you know, if you're doing A-B testing, right? So you do one thing and you change one small little thing. I guess it was a little bit more than a smaller thing that I changed, but it was so obvious. I need to do more of this. So I did. And I kept doing it and doing it. I was more and more vulnerable and more vulnerable. And for most people, they would look at it and say, well, those are just vanity metrics. Those don't matter. But Tommy, the more I did this, the more people would reach out and say, I want to hire you. And I wasn't even necessarily talking about sales training. I was just talking about life. And all of a sudden, things just totally change to the point where I don't want to do sales training anymore. I don't want to be a sales trainer, right? I'm loving this marketing idea, my my idea of marketing. So I'm going to leave the the sales training world. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but because my mom told me to never burn a bridge, which I've never done outside of maybe once, I called my former boss, the owner of the software firm. And I said, I need some advice. I'm, I'm sort of pivoting. I don't know exactly know what to do. And he's like, come over. And he's building a new house. That's just who this guy is. You and I both know him. He's an incredible guy. I show up at his house you know, we're eating a Subway sandwich. It was like this taster's choice sort of moment together. And he's like, you're leaving. I love your stuff. Why don't you come back and work for us and be in a marketing role? And I was like, wow, I never thought of myself that way. I never really put stake in the game. You know, I want to be this person, but I'm not a technical marketer. I don't necessarily consider myself to be creative. I'm just honest. And this is really where things just start to take off. So I joined the marketing team. I'm doing all the marketing for the company on a small level, which is email campaigns. I'm getting certified in certain things. I'm sort of figuring things out. And then I get approached by the co-founder that says, hey, we want you to start this almost like a sales enablement team where you go out and prospect for business. Prospecting has always been sort of my forte. It's the one thing I'm very, very good at is connecting with people. And he's like, we want you to cold call. We just cold call everybody, which is, you know, in 2010, 11, I would have said, Hell yeah. I mean, that's my thing. Like, let's go. But this is 2016. I'm like, no, it's not going to work. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, because now, you know, this person has a cell phone and you don't know it. And if they're at their office line, they have to make a decision. You know, do I want to answer this call, which I don't recognize? So why waste your time doing that? You know, it's not that it's wrong or right. You might make two, 300 a week. You might talk to five people and out of five people, two of them are going to hang up on you. Three of them are going to hang up on you. I mean, what a total waste of time. It's not about being right or wrong, which is a big argument in, you know, just sales concepts and strategies. But the point is, is like you could tweet somebody, you could send them a direct message, you can tag them in a post. I mean, you could write them a handwritten note. If I really wanted to get a hold of you, and this is sort of the point I made is like, I know where your office is. So why don't I just stake you out, right? I know you're coming in at 745. Why don't I just casually bump into you on the street? Like, oh yeah, you're Tommy Martin. And he goes, okay, you have my attention. So he goes, we want you to hire two people. Here's the goal. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to go in a room and write this playbook you keep talking about. Because I had this idea like sales should have an actual playbook, like a playbook that we use And not just set in a desk. So I did that. And then when I finally got it done and presented this to him, the whole theory was sales and marketing do not communicate. They're ships passing in the night. Marketing's doing one thing. Sales is doing another thing. But the way that sales engages with potential clients is more similar to the way marketing is now than it is to the way sales used to be. So we need to work closely together. 
And I said, the one thing that I want to do is create a significant amount of content as if we're using it like a, a sales strategy or a sales behavior. And rather than make the company famous, which we always try to do, share the company, share the company, and then we sound like white noise that's blended into everything, we're going to make the sales team famous. This was a big mountain we had to get over because it's like, whoa, whoa, no, you work for the company. And I'm like, just trust me. And there was a guy at our company who said, don't ever say, just trust me again, which I said it even more after he said that. But I said, no, you don't understand. Like, it's like an endorser or an influencer. They might have the logo on the shirt, but they're talking about something else as a way to engage with people because people relate to people. And it worked. We posted three times a day. I had almost seven guys at one time and we were booking 25 to 30 appointments a month with big companies like Netflix's, Bridgestone's, I mean, big time. And we're talking about software development with customers or clients we never thought we would. And the whole theory is, Sales needs to create content on a macro level using this concept of a, a marketing funnel that you know creates awareness, so it's very engaging, that creates consideration and, and then creates decision, right? And this is on a macro level to have as many conversations as possible, but the conversion is not based off of meetings, it's based off of conversations, never-ending conversations, conversations where I don't go... Tom, can we meet next Tuesday or Thursday? I'm free at 11 or two. What works better for you? Which is everybody's sales pitch back then, right? It's, hey, I really love your content or I heard this about your company or I think it's, you know, it's just like this compliment, right? Compliment, compliment, compliment. We're social people. This is social media. And then you continually foster this connection, build this relationship. So this is this whole thing we're doing. And then finally I said, I think I have this idea. I want to create a show. So LinkedIn comes up with native video. I'm really flirting with a lot of video at the time personally. And here we are. We're getting our people in the show, the people we want. So if you're familiar with earn, paid, and own media, paid media essentially is the media that you promote. The own media is obviously what you create, but earned media is really the value. And it's the toughest thing, but probably the most opportune thing that any company has readily at their fingertips. It's getting the people that work for that company and the fans of that company, like, you know, even your mom and dad, right? Engaged in that content. And the best way to do that is to ask your people what they think and then put them into the content. I would want to talk to the developers and they said, well, I don't have anything good to say. And I'd say, I think you do. And it was this, I don't know. I'm like, hold on a second. What are you working on right now? And they'd want to tell me what they're working on. Right? So uh, you know, we're working on this. It's really cool. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I want to talk to you about. Let's get on camera and do this and we'll make it fun. We'll have this introduction, this music, you know, sort of like you're probably doing with your podcast. And all of a sudden we're 185 videos in and we are, we are, we're not just meeting with clients. Like our traffic is going up. Things are starting to happen and we are signing clients. And they're like, you know, you look at attribution, right? Like where are people coming from? Oh, well, we saw the videos. We're watching you on YouTube. Like, okay. Okay. So here we are at the end of this story. And that is, we want to take it to the next level. What do we do? We want to figure out, are we doing this right? Are we doing this wrong? And Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Everybody knows Gary V. This owner, these two owners say, we're going to enlist VaynerMedia has a company called the Sasha Group, which is for SMBs. We're going to fly to New York. We're going to tell them what we're doing. We're going to either get confirmational bias or they're going to tell us that we need to do something differently. And we go out there and they say, you got to keep doing what you're doing. You're doing it right. Here's a few things to tweak, but you're doing it right. That's got to feel good. It did feel Getting good. Getting a stamp of approval from Gary V on what you're coming up with just as a guy trying to be honest with an audience. Right. Just for the record, Gary wasn't there. It was this entire team, which was incredible insight because he has such a large team underneath him that's doing all this stuff for him. Like, it's not just some guy that's constantly sitting on his phone, you know, or his computer creating content. He has a significant amount of people doing it for him, which was really cool to see and really sort of stressed the importance of this shift. So that sort of led to everything. And then if you talk about just the startup component of this, I got a call from a, a company in Minnesota that uh, was starting this technology in the roofing industry. 
they're building this software, this revolutionary software, and it is revolutionary software. You enter your address, and what the software does is it integrates with several different technologies. So mapping technology, satellite technology, supplier technology, and then it would integrate with public information that people don't really realize is public and it mashes it all up. And what it does is it spits out a quote for your roof to be replaced in a second. But the cool thing that I really found attractive to it was that it wasn't gated. I didn't need to put my email address in. I didn't need to give my social security number. I just immediately get a quote. And the thing about replacing a roof is even if you're within, you're a small percentage off, two to 3%, even 5%, anytime you replace your roof, you have to account for waste. You're always going to need more. So there's this little bit of leeway where your quotes are always going to be relatively close. And I loved it. And it was brand new startup, but it was really scary. I don't know anything about roofs. I mean, I I'm barely can change the oil in my car. I'm just not a handy guy. And again, it was, hey, we see all the stuff you're doing. We want you to inject that. And this, this moment where I had to come back to our owner and say, look, this, I don't know what to do. Right. I quit once before. Right. Which is already a, a pretty cool part of your story in itself, Derek, that you left a prior employer, went elsewhere, but then they immediately wanted you back the moment they had an opportunity. And really cool that you left in such a way they would want you back. And also cool that they would, you know, treat you with such an open hand and you know, let you feel empowered to go do what was best for you and your family. And that probably was attractive. And part of the reason you were coming back anyway, but now you're going back a second time, like, Hey, I'm thinking maybe this might be a better opportunity. So how did that go? Uh, The coming back part? Yeah. The second time, like, Hey, uh, I think maybe I need to leave again. Yeah. Well, it was different. So before it was write a resignation letter, you know, have a heart to heart conversation. I mean, I was really close with the owners. So I think we sat in my office the first day that I officially resigned and the owner and I spoke for, I want to say six hours. It was really a heartfelt conversation about, you know, what he could do differently or how he could improve the company. It was really remarkable. I mean, it was the kind of thing that would inspire you to want to work there. And When I left the second time, it wasn't a letter of resignation. It was, hey, I need some advice. We're friends, right? So I make this. I would never put you in a position to have to counter offer that, right? Because I respect you so much. I mean, I would go as far as that. I love this guy. It's just an instrumental part of my life for many reasons. And I just sat down and I'm like, what do I do, right? I'm getting a significant raise. This is a cool opportunity and everything about my past tells me that I should jump, that I should do this. But then again, this company's incredible. And he just looks at me and says, Derek, you've got to do this. I don't want you to go, but you've got to do this. And I did. Right in between me leaving this company for the second time and starting with the startup, I was approached by another company to do a talk. And I've done a number of talks, especially throughout my second tenure at this software firm for these outside companies, you know, a little side hustle. But this time I have a runway of of time before I do it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to actually legitimize this. I'm going to do everything that I should have done years ago, but I was too big of a wussy to even act like I knew how. And I just filed and created a website and a logo, did all the branding and Boom, created Disruptor in January of 2020 at the same time I started with the, uh, with the roofing tech firm. And that was a whole nother self-discovery centered around through video and through commercials and media buying and really getting into the technical side of marketing, which I've never really been that great at. But now I realized in sales, you have account execs and then you have sales development representatives. That used to not be the case. A salesperson was just, they did everything. But a salesperson now, you can't put all your eggs into prospecting for business and closing deals. I mean, you can. It's just very, very difficult to do. It's very, I mean, you want your closers closing and you want your prospectors going out and finding new people to talk to, getting at bats for these salespeople. That is how it shifted. And marketing, I think, has shifted sort of somewhat similar. There's a creative side of marketing. I mean, there's so many things that marketers do. You have a creative side of marketing and then you also have a very, very technical side of marketing. 
And what I've found, especially through working through this with this startup, is that these technical guys are so technical. It's not that they're not creative, but there's so much needed on the technical side of marketing, you know, segmenting audiences, retargeting, creating ads socially, you know, creating presentations for it could be a venture capitalist or private equity firm, or it could be typically it's private equity firm. It could be a, a presentation for a large client. I mean, there's so much that marketing needs to do, especially on the technical side, but the creative side is a whole nother aspect. It's like content that's different. And we did a lot of that. And we had an opportunity to do that. It was like, let's create different kind of content. So everything we think that we've done in the past or anything we think our competition has done, we are throwing those out. We are not doing that. We are doing something different. I'll leave you with this. The Super Bowl had the Coinbase commercial, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I know you are because I know you're into crypto and blockchain and NFTs. And they have the uh, QR code going all over the screen. Bouncing around the screen. Yep. Absolutely. Everybody did it. I did it. I'm sure you did it while you're watching the game. You probably scanned the QR code to figure out what it was. Well, that website crashed. I'm not joking. We did this exact same thing where we put a QR code in a television commercial six months before that commercial came out. We put it on television in Minnesota and we had a significant amount of people use it. And I'm like, they stole our idea. (laughs) That's pretty awesome, though. Pretty awesome when... You know, you see your idea end up on the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's good. So, Derek, you've alluded to this, but one of the things you've talked with me about in the past is really this movement that you saw that we, you know, we started in the age of the salesperson. Mm -hmm. And then we made a morph. And now you look at it and say, we're probably making another morph. I want to have you speak to that. You'll talk about it a lot better than I would. Right. So... From a sales perspective, we would go into a selling situation and we'd have proprietary information, information you couldn't get from anyone else. And the customer or the client would rely on you to provide that for them. And that was the value that a salesperson had. All right, that This is my experience. And then we shift to now I'm selling very high tech custom software or technology. And I think in any area of the world now, as a customer, you have the ability to probably find the information that that salesperson or that company is going to offer you or tell you about on your own. I mean, I have attempted to fix my furnace because I watched it on YouTube, right? I call it the Google generation. And, you know, I don't know if that's the right term. I'm sure there's actually an industry norm for it. But, you know, it used to be we'd sit around the dinner table. You're talking about something. You make an offhanded comment that, you know, the smallest state is Hawaii. And then somebody's immediately like, you know, okay, I think maybe it's Rhode Island. And you just kind of like talk about it. Well, now that doesn't happen, right? We got to go get our phone out and somebody immediately Googles, what is the small state? Mm -hmm. And so it's this never ending fact checking. And then it's also this entire do it yourself mentality that sprung up around it of, okay, we can go fix anything ourselves. We can go do anything ourselves. I think in a lot of ways, that's been great. You know, I ended up doing shiplap in my house during COVID because it was a birthday present for my wife. And I never would have been able to do that prior to this like Google generation element that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But it's also what, you know, causes people to have a whole lot of injuries because they try to do their own electric and don't know which wire is doing what. And they end up getting zapped laying on the floor of their utility room. I'm talking about this as if it's never actually happened to me, but it has. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's both. So keep going. So we have the age of the salesperson. And then we have the age of the customer. You know, the customer can find any information they want anywhere, like you're saying, and they can do it themselves. The difference is, is they don't have time. And COVID taught us anything is we value our time more than ever, ever. Right. Because we don't get to spend the amount of time that we normally could with certain people, except your you know, wife and kids who are trapped in a house with you for 24 hours a day. And you're ready to pull your hair out. Thank goodness I still have mine. And hey, congratulations on you still having yours. But, you know, here we are in the middle of this because we value our time. So how does a salesperson add value? Right. This is where things are just really intersecting for me. And that is 
trust. Do I trust you enough to help me, right? I have the money to do this, but do I trust you? So there's online reviews, there's referrals, you know, there's all these things, but what's the fastest way to earn someone's trust? I believe it breaks down into credibility and reliability. So are you credible enough? Do you have evidence that you know what you're doing and reliable is, do you, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? Salespeople are notorious for not being reliable. Absolutely. But the key to all of this that I've discovered through articles that I've written and personal struggles is that vulnerability is the fastest way to do this. And if you can be authentic, if you can be genuine and honest about what you've been through, I think people will see you more as somebody they can trust right away. It's the theory of everybody wants to be a little bit more okay than somebody else. But it's like, look, you know, I just posted this the other day, this quote from Bob Goff's new book, Undistracted. And there's a story about this shop teacher. The shop teacher is missing a finger and he's teaching kids how to use a table saw in high school. Normally, you know, prior to this, the age we're in, normally you'd look at that guy and be like, I don't want that guy teaching me. He cut his finger off. Now you look at it, it's like, you know, that guy has failed. So he knows exactly how not to fail. I want to listen to that guy. And going back to Gary Vee, when he's talking about being different, he's talking about like, okay, if you're a realtor and you want to differentiate yourself or you're a tradesperson, why not create content centered around how these people can do it themselves? Hey, you don't want to replace your roof. Here's 10 things you can do to repair your roof so you don't have to pay for it. If you're a realtor, like, hey, you don't want to hire a realtor. You want to keep that commission for yourself. Here's all the stuff you need to do and I'll help you with it. But as you're showing them all these things, they're becoming overwhelmed with the fact that you know how to do it. You're not trying to take money out of their pocket. Now they believe you and now they want to hire you. It has the opposite effect. And I love that. And that to me is the age of the customer. And that is where marketing and sales intersect in a way that has never been done before. The vulnerability is really, really, really important. And there's a big stigma around vulnerability, big time. And I can dive into that as well if you want. But learning that is key. I think one of the things you've also taught me, Derek, is we're now maybe moving past the age of the customer into a new age. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up because I knew I was going to talk about that and I didn't. So I left the roofing technology company. Obviously, I'm doing Disruptor now full time. And I absolutely love this company. But I was working... I mean, on average, 12 hours a day, seven to seven. And most times it was later than that. And the fact that we're all working from home now because of COVID, because of the shutdown, right? So if you're in the office, now you have this ability to be this hybrid person or maybe full-time work at home. And it's this like exciting feeling of being extremely productive, probably more productive than we ever thought we would be, right? We thought we'd be distracted, but in turn, it's the opposite. We're overproductive. And it's because our machines, our workstations are 10 seconds from where we sleep. So we are literally always on. So now you see everybody talking about, and this is almost a cliche, it's totally played out, it's this great resignation. Everybody's quitting. Why are they quitting? Let's try to throw more money at it. You know, let's try to provide some sort of perk for them. But, you know, my theory is like, give me more money now so I can't spend it the way I want to spend it, right? It doesn't matter how much money I have. I still can't experience life the way I want to experience life. And I think you and I probably share the same sentiment. I'm not put on this earth just to pay bills and die, right? I'm not trying to work 14 hours a day. I want to live my life with the people that I love. I want to spend that time with them. So throwing money at it or giving me some sort of benefit doesn't matter. But you know what does matter? Paying attention to what's important to me, giving me my time, respecting my time. And this is where I think we're at. I don't see it as the great resignation. I see it as the great burnout. People are leaving their jobs not because they don't make enough money or because they're dissatisfied with the culture. I think they're pissed because they, they don't have the time that they once had. So they're willing to take less or do something that makes them more happy. But happiness is not just measured in your necessarily your career. It's measured in the amount of freedom that your career gives you to do the things that you want to do, which is you know, take your kids to Zion National Park, you know, or to Europe, which we haven't done, but you want to, you want to have these experiences. So I think we're in this age of the employee. I think we're in the age of innovation where we have to innovate. And I think COVID, if anything, has shown us is that there's this 
just flood of new ideas and ways to make life simpler and more convenient, which is really cool. You know, if you look at all the negative things that you would associate with the pandemic and you take a step back and you start paying attention to what you don't know, you don't know, you'll start to realize or start to see the world differently. Like there's all these new opportunities and it's exciting. And that's the innovation. That's, you know, what I want to be a part of with Disruptor. But what I feel like I understand is that the age of the employee and empathy have taken on a new meaning, right? hundred percent. You know, Derek, you and I were talking about this and listeners, just to give context, we're recording here in early March of 2022. So, you know, still, still experiencing uh, shockwaves of COVID certainly. And now all the turmoil between Russia and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And one of the things Derek and I were talking about before we started recording was just, we miss our friends. And that's just been kind of, I think, a universal truth for a lot of us. You know, we try to do the Zoom game nights with friends or, you know, we try to be pretty intentional about it, but there's something about being with other humans that is just not the same. And so I really resonate with this burnout theory, Derek. We've seen people go through it. We hear about the great resignation. And I like how you said a raise doesn't work the way it used to, because again, if if all they're doing is stuck in their own home, what are they going to go spend it on? You know, it's, that's such a good point, but they do absolutely value knowing that their employer actually cares about them. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, we all share something in common is that we all have the same amount of time. It's the great equalizer of life. Yeah. So I like how you've defined it of moving from the age of the salesperson to the age of the customer to the age of the employee. And it'll be interesting to watch how that continues to pan out as we move past some of this global conflict, past you know some of the stronger effects of the pandemic. But I think you said it really, really well. Also, Derek, you said, you know, we've all experienced COVID differently Mm -hmm. and some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have had really massive challenges in our businesses. Others have maybe thrived in their businesses, but their personal life has fallen apart. And we just don't know that person on the other end of our conversation until we ask and we get to know them. We don't know what these last two years have done to their life. And I think all of us are very open at the moment for people to actually care about that. You know, the best type of marketing is, you know, storytelling, but I would take it a step further. It's, it's relating to people, right? If you can share something that you struggle with, somebody else might be more open to share what they struggle with. And if you understand each other, if you understand the people that you're working with and they know that you understand them, you're going to believe in each other. You're going to want to stay because you're going to feel like you're a part of something now. And that's, I think, how you combat the great resignation, if you will, the great burnout. It's, hey, look, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've been through and I don't know how you feel. But if you want to talk about if there's anything that I can do to help you, no matter what it is, I want to be that for you. Well, Derek, you shared a story with me, and I think this just solidifies why they would do it. But recently you had a software firm with over 600 employees. They came to you because ultimately they're wanting to drive engagement of customers, employees, all those things. And they see you as this you know, digital marketing agency that's way different than normal And I love what they actually brought you in to do because it doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard from a digital marketing agency before. What did they bring you in to do for their employees? So I'm working with this company doing very typical disruptor things. We're talking about prospecting. We're talking about writing playbooks for their teams and how marketing and sales can collaborate. And they approached me about this mentorship program for their development team in India. And my response was, well, I've done this personally, but I haven't necessarily done this professionally. And they said, we know, but we think you'd be perfect for it. And I said, okay. And this is this whole theory of developing software. So if you're developing software, a founder, right, you're starting a company and you know you have something, you know you have something that the market needs. 
Well, rather than assume that you know everything the market needs, just release the minimal product and let the market respond. And I think that's where Disruptor is, is I have this thing and I'm going to let the market respond. And my market told me, we want you to do this. And it was this empathy training. And it's actually, uh, we're in our second month of doing it. So we have a large group session and then we have small group sessions and I pair them with accountability partners and they have all these workshops that they go through as a way to implement and really transform the mindset of their culture. And the, the feedback's been incredible. In fact, today we had two sessions. Yesterday we had three sessions. But this all stems from not just my approach to sales and marketing, but really the way that I would put myself out there and the vulnerability and trust that I've you know, attempted to establish with not just my clients, but prospective clients through social media. And uh, I'm very passionate about some of these things. And ultimately that led to this new self-discovery where they said, no, we think you'd be perfect for it. And it's been really, really remarkable to the point where I have literally changed the slogan or this idea of who Disruptor is probably three times in the past three months. But Brand engagement, which is essentially the title of the team that I gave at the software firm. I'm like, I'm going to bring this back because I think this falls under brand engagement somehow. If we can't get our employees engaged in our brand, it is so much harder to go out and get customers engaged in our brand. So if your theory is accurate that you know we've moved from that age of the salesperson to the age of the customer now to the age of the employee it's spot on what are companies now doing to actually drive engagement of their brand and their values and just them as a great company to their employees and if they miss that it feels a lot like you got a bucket that's full of holes. You're bringing in new customers, but you're fighting along the way because your employees are out here on social just absolutely hammering your company for not caring about its employees. And so that makes it even harder to engage with customers. So I think you're onto something, Derek. I think, and that's why I think you're doing something at Disruptor that's very different than the typical marketing agency who's really thinking about the external, you know, the external players. When we really have started to move to this age of the internal players matter, they've always mattered to some companies, but I'm going to submit they need to matter to every company if they want to be able to build long-term success. Right. You, uh, treat your employees the way that you would treat your clients. You almost put your employees on a pedestal because you know they'll turn around and then treat your clients the way you want your clients treated. And if you approach it genuinely, I think you'll have you know great results. You had mentioned sort of in your point there, what are companies doing to engage their employees? And I don't assume you might be familiar with Jordan Peterson. He talked about the difference between thinking and paying attention. And I loved this concept. Because when you're thinking, you're typically comparing something that you already know. You're analyzing something you already know. But if you're paying attention, it's this concept of trying to figure out what you don't know that you don't know, right? Because there's the opportunity. What don't you know that you don't know? So I think companies are starting to pay attention. I love that. Derek, we're going to segue into my favorite part of the show where I get to ask you two questions. Uh, The first question is the question everybody wants to know. And what it really is, is the question I really want to know. And you and I have this opportunity. We know each other outside of this show. I've gotten to hear and learn and be inspired by your story, but you're also very open about it on social. You know, we talked about there have been times and things in your life that aren't always on the rosy side of success of building a really dynamic, you know, brand and marketing and employee engagement firm. A lot of that relates back to your struggle with alcoholism. And I know you're willing to share that with our listeners. And I have to believe somebody out there listening in, maybe they have some kind of hurt or habit or hang up that is, you know, really driving a big part of their life. I hope you're willing to speak into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it really coincides with my career to an extent, not purposely, but this is really what I feel like my calling is. So how can I give more glory to God? How do I give the glory to God in every single thing that I do? And that's 
goes back to wanting to spend more time with my family versus wanting to spend more time at work. I mean, obviously I need work, but you know, right around 2014, everything that I struggled with, whether it was stress or anxiety or anger, codependence, all the things I didn't realize were the real issue. I would deal with the only way I knew how, which is to drown it out with alcohol. And this is a really long battle with it, but I essentially was a blackout drunk. So I would get so stressed out. I would just drink and drink and drink until I couldn't feel anything anymore. And that was my way of dealing with things. For me, once I went into recovery and really started paying more attention to sobriety and what that meant, it was at the same point where, you know, if you share your testimony, one, you're going to find people that are going to be really grateful that you shared because now they feel like they can share. And I think people find their purpose in that and helping people. But there's also this, this other component to sharing your story is that now with every single thing out there, Tommy, what are you going to say to me? You know, it's the bee rabbit eight mile thing. Tell me something I don't already know about me. Tell these people something they don't already know. It's this for marketing. It's like, I don't care what you think. And I know that sounds arrogant, but I guess don't take it the wrong way. What I mean is like, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm not in control anymore. Like I've been sober now for eight years. And to me, every single thing in my life that is good is a result of God's grace and I don't deserve any of it. So when I think about my career and my life, I want to do every single thing that I can differently and stop worrying about what people think. And for so long, that's exactly what I did. I'd worry about what people thought. I worry about myself, like, and all the things that I'd done to put myself in this position. And it's just this spiral of, you know, seeking forgiveness. So like, it's one thing to have the people that you love forgive you. It's another thing to have God forgive you, uh, which ultimately we all need to realize that he does. All you have to do is ask. And then the hardest thing to do, which is what God says you should do first is forgive yourself. And that doesn't work that way. It might take you years to forgive yourself long after people have forgiven you. And I think that's why people feel like they have to work. They have to do works, right? If you're familiar with the, the biblical philosophy, doing works as a way to gain access to heaven and to eternal life. But reality is, it's just faith. So I think that's why there's this big period of time where you can't forgive yourself because you feel like you don't deserve it and you have to work it off. And all of this, plus everything thing I told you about marketing and sales all comes together. And I think the result is this company called Disruptor. <laughs> so you know, that's where I at. I, I will leave it at this. Disruptor, as I'm getting ready to leave the roofing company, I get a call from my largest client and I'm very close with them. I mean, close to the point where he knows my story and we meet occasionally and he, he approaches me in November and he asks me, how's it going? I'm like, you know, I'm really stressed out. I'm working all the time. I have no time for Disruptor. I don't have time for anything. And he asked me to go to dinner and I go to dinner and he owns a a medical packaging company, a phenomenally successful medical packaging company in Warsaw, Indiana, which is where I am right now. We meet for dinner the next week and he goes, I absolutely love Disruptor. I love the brand. I love everything you did for our company. I have a unique opportunity and I want to give you a proposition. He goes, what if I bought Disruptor? What if I cut you a check for Disruptor? And I said, you have all the time in the world you need to grow it and make it into what I know it could be and what I think you don't realize what it could be. And I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> so he cut me a check for Disruptor and I'm running Disruptor as the co-owner of Disruptor. Talk about your ultimate investor. So founders, a lot of you out there are looking for those investors, that venture capital partner or you know, those seed investors, the the angel investors, what you just described, Derek, goes way beyond an angel investor. He is literally, if you're familiar with the dream manager, he is my dream manager. I mean, just somebody that just believes in you, willing to take a leap of faith that just, I never thought it would be possible. I never thought I'd be where I am. It's not about money. I mean, it, I want to make money. I want to make millions of dollars, Tommy, but I get to see my kids every night and I get to do things that I love to do. Well, you said one of your lead jobs now is to transport them to their practices. And you wouldn't be able to do that 
if it wasn't for these intentional decisions you've made to maybe, you know, walk away from a great startup that's doing really cool things in the roofing industry, but to really be intentional with your time and the opportunity you have. And Derek, that takes us into a great segue to the the last question. It's the real question that everybody wants to know. I'm sure from our listeners out there, there are people that are going to want to get a hold of you because of what you're up to at Disruptor, whether it's for their employees or for their digital marketing audience, any of that stuff. What is the best way for them to reach out to you? I love the idea of just getting random messages. It's so inspiring for somebody to to really to read something that I wrote or a video that I put out. I do a lot of passion projects, you know, videos that are personal, but the best way is to to find me on social, whether that's LinkedIn, which is primarily my target platform, and just just send me a message. You can go to my website and fill out a contact form, which is disruptor.com, but just send me a message. Tell me what it is you you want to do, you're struggling with and you know, Disruptor is just a different type of firm. You know, my vision is to be completely different from anything you've done before. And I think that starts with being real honest about where we've been. Absolutely. And so listeners, we will put the links to Derek's LinkedIn and to Disruptor. Remember, it's spelled a little bit differently. We'll put the links to those right in our show notes, whether you're listening in on Apple or Spotify or wherever you absorb your podcasts, we'll make it easy for you to get in touch with Derek. And Derek, sure appreciate you sharing your story today. What an incredible journey, not at all where you expected you'd be at this stage of life, but you're doing just incredible work. I'm really honored to have you as a friend. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. What an honor. Love you, man. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us here at Beyond the Ordinary, and we will see you right back here next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.